Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitali.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Voices, everyone. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and today I'm very happy to have Theodora Lee with me. She's a trial lawyer and a partner in San Francisco law firm of Littler, and she founded her own vineyard, Theopolis Vineyards, in 2003 after catching the wine bug from her law firm mentors. So since then, she's had some rocketing success with Robert Parker giving her top star ratings of between 94 and 96 points. She's having awards and medals continuing to roll in for her wines. And in September 2016, Som Journal listed Theopolis Vineyard's estate-grown Petite Syrah as best in class. So I'm very happy to talk to Theodora today and hear her story. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Cynthia, it is my pleasure to be here. Oh, that's very kind. Well, I am so interested in hearing about your path to wine. It's not sort of immediately obvious how you got into having a vineyard and award-winning wines. You were just chatting with me a little bit about the fact that you grew up in Texas and you went into law. Um, There must have been a lot of obstacles along the way for you. You know, it can't have been that easy of an entry into the law world as a young black woman from the South. How, How was that in terms of shaping your future path? And, you know, has have you seen some changes in what you confronted compared to what young students are confronting nowadays? Well, I graduated from law school in the 80s. At that time, there were not that many African-American women in law firms. And uh, I applied for a number of jobs. I went to the University of Texas at Austin. They gave me a full ride scholarship although I had to pay for room and board. So my father paid for the first year and I worked the second and third year because he only promised to pay for my education for five years, thinking maybe it would take me five years to get through college. But I got through college in the regular four. And I said, well, you promised me five years. So you you definitely got to pay for the first year of law school. But I had scholarships in college and a full ride at UT. And I graduated and I applied for a number of of jobs in Texas and in Atlanta, where I had gone to school at Spelman College. I got none of those jobs that I applied for, but I got offers in Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Those are big cities that offered more opportunity to people of color. And I was fortunate to join Littler back in the 80s. And I'm one of the few people that have been at the same firm for 90% of my legal career. I left as a fifth-year associate 
uh, to start the labor and employment practice at a general practice firm in Oakland. And shortly after I left, Littler said, why did you leave? I took a few of West Fastiff's clients. And uh, I said, I think there's a market in Oakland. And he said, well, let's just open an office in Oakland. So I came back a year and a half later as a partner and the managing partner of the Oakland office for Littler, ran that for 10 years. And as we grew globally, we have offices in in Italy uh, and all throughout Europe and the rest of the world. I came back and I've been at the firm and a partner there now for 27 years. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations. That is some, you know, true stick-to-itiveness, obviously. And carving out your own path to leadership is definitely the way to go. I, I love that story. But it still doesn't really point to how you ended up having a vineyard. How did that happen? Well, I go back to the 80s. Back in the time I was an associate at Littler, there were several partners who had vineyards in Napa and Sonoma. I don't know how it was in Italy, but we didn't have fax machines and emails and Wi-Fi and all these electronic means of communications back in the 80s. So if you were working on a brief and the partner was at their weekend home at their vineyard in Napa, Sonoma, you got in your car, you drove that brief to their home, They read the brief, marked it up, or did whatever edits they needed to get the brief prepared for filing on Monday morning. And Barbara Diodoni, who was one of my law firm mentors, she and her husband, Pierre, actually had a beautiful vineyard in Hillsburg. And so they would often ask me to stay for dinner, and they would offer me wine. And I'm being a country girl from Texas. I was like, no, give me some Jack Daniels or some <laughs> wild turkey. I don't drink wine. And and they said, well, why don't you drink wine? And I told them the story uh, uh, that my father, who was a school principal and bought 10 acres of land when I was a small kid, used to take wild muscadine. And that's a grape that grows wild in the South and in Texas. And he would make homebrew wine from muscadine. And, you know, as a precocious little kid, you would go and you'd see your parents, you know, having parties and drinking. And so I went into the liquor cabinet and I pulled out that homebrew and I tasted that muscadine wine. That sweet and syrupy wine was so nasty. <laughs> I said, I will never drink wine because I thought that was wine. You know, you, you learn from your parents. And so I told that story to Barbara Diodoni and she said, that's not wine. We bottle fine wine. So she introduced me to fine wine. And initially I was like, oh my God, this is bitter. Eventually, I developed a taste first for the traditional California buttery and oak Chardonnay. Then I graduated to Zinfandel and and Cabernet because they also grew that. But more than anything, it was not the taste of wine that drove me to uh, want to have a vineyard. It was that her husband, Pierre, used to let me drive the tractor oh yes in the vineyard oh yes and and growing up in texas i learned to drive on a tractor at the age of 8 okay and that experience with pierre letting me drive the tractor in the vineyard said my god i 
could be a grape farmer. My father was a cattle farmer, and I did post hole digging and built barns and learned to shoot guns and all of that because I was an only child. So I was my father's son and my mother's daughter. I was a debutante. I was I did ballet. So by being out on that tractor in that vineyard, I said, I want to own my vineyard one day. Well, you know, <laughs> land is not cheap in California. Definitely not. And so it took me until 2001 to buy 20 acres of land in the Yorkville Highlands of Anderson Valley, Mendocino County. You also picked a good spot, let's be fair. <laughs> That's a good place for a vineyard. Well, you know, I, I, I have to tell you this. I only knew about Sonoma and Napa at the time, but as a single woman and a labor and employment lawyer, I mean, I love what I do in law because it's about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But we are not the highest paid lawyers in the world. And as it, it, Atlanta is expensive, I couldn't afford Napa or Sonoma. But I am so thankful that I bought in the Yorkville Highlands of Anderson Valley because it still has the pristine growing conditions that Napa had ages ago. We don't have the congestion and all of those factors. We are one of the most natural counties in the world for growing grapes. Absolutely. Absolutely. What an amazing time to get in um, pretty much before the whole Anderson Valley was really discovered for how great it is. So you were in at the at the beginning in the early 2000s. Absolutely. It, 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 it was my pleasure uh, to actually do the the 501c6, the association nonprofit for the Yorkville Highlands Appalachian. And we are a separate appellation from Anderson Valley, but we are the Highlands of Anderson Valley. So our vineyards are not in the valley, they're hillside. And actually, I have to tell you, I have terraces. And the first time that I saw terrace vineyards was in Italy. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I, I live just outside of Verona. And so terraces are my thing all around. We see them in a lot of places. So you're doing you're doing things on terraces. So that is a lot of manual work. There's not a lot of mechanization you can do there. Well, that's why we say we are handcrafted, <laughs> because we do handpick the grapes. And, you know, the farming aspect of the wine business was my love. I, I mean, I love being on the tractor. I love plowing the land. I love pruning the vines. I love, you know, weed eating, uh, tying the shoots up to tea posts, fruit thinning, and even picking the grapes are fun. <laughs> I I have to agree with you. I like the actual agricultural side of of the wine business myself. My husband grew up on a farm. There's something to be said for a man with a tractor, absolutely. So uh, yeah, I like the agriculture side. Well, I'm a girl with a tractor. <laughs> well, I have to tell you a funny story. My father is a traditional Texan, and so my uh, first tractor was a Kubota you know, J Japanese, because they're small, they're really made to go through the vineyards. He says, I did not raise a daughter to buy foreign products. So I had to get a John Deere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> so now I have two tracks. <laughs> One that you can only use at night. Yeah, well, unfortunately, he passed in 2016, but he was a character. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, I actually love the name of your vineyard, which I've been uh, keeping on the low until this point in our chat, which is Theopolis Vineyards. So how did you come up with this name? I think it's magic. Well, Theopolis was my Greek name when I pledged my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta, Eta Kappa chapter in at Spelman College. So my God-given name is Theodora, and my big sisters who pledged me gave me the name Theopolis. And so that is why I named my vineyard Theopolis, because, you know, a lot of vineyards are named like Lee Family Cellars or Brown Estate, but unfortunately, it's just me. So I don't know that one creates a family. <laughs> so uh, I wanted something that was unique to me that would stand out, and Theopolis seemed appropriate. And so that's why I named the vineyard Theopolis Vineyards. It goes back to Greece, and they had vineyards there long ago. And then um, I... I'm on my tractor, and I sometimes have Texas big hair. Uh, and so uh, Diane Carroll, who was an actor who passed a couple of years ago, I got to entertain her at Theopolis Vineyards, at, along with her goddaughter, who was working on a project with me. And they saw me on the tractor, and they dubbed me Theopatra, Queen of the Vineyards, because everyone calls me Theo. Okay? And so... Uh, I hosted a dinner for them, and my neighbor, who was a graphic artist, that was before I started bottling wine, you know, heard them call me Theopatra. Well, fast forward to 2012, when I was forced to bottle wine, okay? I didn't plan on bottling wine. I just wanted to be a grape farmer on my tractor, selling the grapes to, you know, other uh, award-winning wineries. And I did that for the period 2006 until 2012. And in 2012, an ill-time rain fell. Uh, I had to pick in the rain. I picked my grapes at 23 bricks. I delivered those grapes to the buyer. They rejected the grapes because the contract required that they be at 25 bricks. That's the sugar level. Of course. So they rejected the entire lot. So I had to custom crush because they were already picked, but I didn't have enough money because I lost my shirt in real estate during our great recession of 20, uh, 2008. So I bartered to get that 2012 vintage produced. I had a year and a half or two years to raise money for the bottles, the caps and so on. And I was happy to say that that 2012 vintage that was bottled in 2014, and it won gold at Sunset Magazine. That's exactly. That's incredible. And it's, what a save, because not all of our listeners will understand how difficult it is to, to make that save after you've already picked the grapes. There's nothing more you can do. Absolutely. And so, you know, at that time, I was forced to bottle and God has a plan for us all. And I guess his plan was for me to actually bottle wine. 
And so going back to the name, I wasn't thinking of, you know, a, lo a logo or anything like that. But when I was forced to bottle the wine back in on the 2012 vintage in 2014, my neighbor who had been at the dinner where I had been dubbed Theopatra, Queen of the Vineyards, remembered that because I forgot. Okay, you know, the Hollywood types are there, they're gone. I'm, you know, dealing with, you know, trying to figure out how to make wine when I had had no idea of doing so. I had to take some courses at Davis on managing a vineyard and a small winery, but he was commissioned to come up with a label for me. He came up with three ideas, one of which was the image of Cleopatra for representing Theopatra. And I loved it. But the first take was, you know, a skinny woman like Cleopatra. So I said, I love the idea, but you need to go back and add some hips and some thighs <laughs> because I am a full body robust woman. And if it's going to be Theopatra, it has to reflect who I am. And that's how we got the label. So, you know, you've got the Greek and Egyptian all in my name of the vineyard, Theopolis, Theopatra as the label. And it's, it's very interesting. I was in um, Egypt, oh, oh, actually six years ago, about this time. And it was great. I took a picture uh, on the throne uh, with my bottles of wine. And I, I said, I'm, I'm dethroning Cleopatra and becoming Theopatra. But very much like uh, Cleopatra, she was actually from Greece. And she went into Egypt and ruled. And here I am, a little black girl trying to make it in the wine business. I absolutely love it. And I hope everybody who's listening will go on your website because the labels are fantastic. They really sort of evoke the whole antiquity, but they have your stamp on it for sure. You said your dad was a character. I think he raised a character himself. <laughs> they're, they're brilliant labels. Well, they call us Pete and repeat. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. Well, you were talking about the, the freak rainstorms that you had. I'm wondering, have you been affected at all by all the recent fires over the past few growing seasons? How are you adapting your vineyard and your cellar? Well, let's put it this way. I thank God that I have not been affected or impacted negatively by the fires. The fires have come within 15 miles of Theopolis Vineyards, I mean, and it's been three years. Uh, 2021 was the only time that we didn't have a threat uh, in the last five years. But fortunately, I have not had smoke tank and I have not had fires to the vineyard. And I'm just lucky because a Petit Sirah vineyard across the road from me in 2020 they were had to leave their fruit on the vines because of smoke tape. Yeah, it's so depressing. Um, it's it's just tragic to hear those stories. I'm glad it hasn't affected you, and I I hope you keep on with your good fortune in Theopolis Vineyards, especially because you know you're being so successful there. I and mean, wine enthusiasts consistently awards your wines, you know, really high ratings, just like uh, Parker does. And in 2020, you were recognized as wine industry leader by business, Wine Business Monthly. So how's all this success 
coming towards you? How's this either helping or hindering your goals for the vineyard? You know, can you leverage your recognition to do some good in the industry? I think I have been able to do so. For example, in 2021, I was a wine enthusiast person of the year nominee. I did not win. It went to someone that is far more successful in the wine business than I, but it was an honor to be recognized. And one of the things that I have done to leverage this recognition is to try to diversify the wine business. I actually started last year a diversity fund at the University of California, Davis. We have seen a lot of uh, activity following the, you know, George Floyd incident and the Black Lives Matter movement. And there has been a conscious effort to diversify the wine business. And most, much of that effort has been with wine educators, sommeliers, you know, people on the other side of the wine business, not so much of a focus on the viticulture, those who manage the vines, those who actually make the wine, who go through enology. And so with Davis being the number one school for that, I thought establishing the Theopolis Vineyards Diversity Fund would actually encourage more people of color to go into the farming and the production and the winemaking aspect. And I am happy to say that we had our first awardee at the end of last year, and I'm looking forward to meeting her and talking to her. And she sent me a thank you note, and she is going to graduate and continue her studies. And so that to me, has been one of the ways that I've leveraged the recognition uh, to better the industry. You know, obviously, uh, the recognition from wine enthusiasts on the awards, in fact, at, at in, in December of 2021, our 2018 Petit Syrah was ranked number 16 of the top 100 seller selections by wine enthusiasts. And so, that has helped sales. <laughs> I mean, we have actually been able to grow our business almost double between 2019 and 2021. That's fantastic, particularly given that that was, you know, the, the height of the pandemic. So not a lot of people saw their business growing at that point. So that's that's particularly a good sign of success if you grew during those really challenging years in the wine business? Well, one thing that I am able to do because I keep my day job as a lawyer <laughs> is offer free shipping because that is the biggest impediment to small vineyards selling their wine because people are, more, uh, are, are far more comfortable going into a store and buying. Well, during the pandemic, you know, people were hesitant to go in anywhere. So if you could deliver wives to their house they didn't have to pay the shipping costs 
and they liked the wine, that helped boost our sales. Because I figured once they got the wine and they loved the wine, they would pay for shipping the next time around. <laughs> Absolutely. That's such a good strategy and, and, and so sort of straightforward. If you can bear the brunt of the cost, that's that's a really sensible way to solve the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm so curious about this whole having the two careers at the same time, your law career and your wine career. They don't sort of obviously go hand in hand. How do you manage both of these things together? I mean, you're a pretty busy person. You're, you've got your fund going. You do a lot of other jobs. There's a long list of them here. I mean, do you have time to sleep? What do you do for fun? What gives you joy? Well, I love to travel. I mean, I love to travel. And one thing we learned during COVID, you can practice law anywhere. The courts were having Zoom hearings. I did a Ninth Circuit oral argument from Hawaii, okay, in 2020. They didn't know whether I was in my home or whether I was in a resort on the beach. Uh, As long as I answered their questions and we ultimately won that argument and have a decision on that case, lawyers like why? Um, you know, pre-COVID, the, re- the way I sold my wine is I had a suitcase of suits for my depositions and hearings, and I had two suitcases of wine. And every city I went for work, legal work, I also would host wine dinners and wine tastings. And lawyers and clients would put those on for me in their homes or at restaurants or at theater uh, centers because it's it's just a cool thing. Uh, my firm has been very supportive of Theopolis Vineyards, and they kind of go hand in hand. It, it has also been a great marketing tool for me. I send a bottle of my wine to my clients every Christmas as a way of keeping me top of mind. And so it has been a natural progression. I learned about fine wines from my law firm mentors. Lawyers help pay the bills uh, in buying our wines. And the one thing that I have to say that I did not know is that a lot of winemakers are creative types and not very business savvy, and they are not responsive. And the one thing I learned about being a lawyer is you got to be responsive. Uh, if a client calls or texts or emails, you need to get back to them before the end of the day. And, you know, people say, well, how do you get so much publicity? I said, well, I respond to emails because apparently a lot of people who are winemakers, they'll get a call or an email and they never, ever respond. Well, if you don't respond, you're not going to get interviewed and you're not going to have you you're not going to be getting that kind of PR. And I've gotten a lot of PR and I have to share this. Um, you know, you're in Italy, but there's a new uh, sitcom on NBC here in, in the United States. And apparently the producer and developer of that sitcom loved my wines. And a couple of years ago, they wrote me and asked for permission to use my logo and uh, my mark, my brand and my marketing materials in their pilot. Well, that was so many years ago. Well, it finally was picked up in January and it's now on NBC. And my logo is prominently displayed in every episode. 
And then I understand from friends, because I don't have time to watch TV, uh, that they even recommended my Pinot Noir to someone uh, in the last episode. So I just have a lot of energy. I don't need a lot of sleep. My father taught me to whom much is given, much is expected. And so I try to give back on being uh, on the board of the YMCA. I, my family, uh, even though my father was a principal, he had three or four jobs like me, so I came by it naturally. One of them was he had invested in the Dallas Post-Tribune newspaper. So that is a family paperback in Texas. And as co-chair of the board, I you know, oversee that. Uh, my half-sister is running it now. I just love what I do. I love practicing law. I love pleasure in the bottle. When I do tastings and people love the wine, it gives me a high. Now, what I don't do is I don't have a husband. I don't have a child. uh, I don't have a steady uh, lover. (laughs) And so that's been the sacrifice, I guess, that I've made in doing all of these other things. So, you know, I... I sleep enough. I love to travel. I love pleasure in the bottle. And I love hanging out with friends and drinking good wine. Well, that sounds pretty darn joyful to me. I'm sure that your dinner parties slash marketing tools with your suitcases full of wine are epic and legendary. It sounds absolutely amazing. And your passion for it really shines through everything you say. Uh, it's, it, it's so nice to hear somebody who really gets that joy in their message. We don't, we can't see each other's face, but just your voice. It's wonderful to hear. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up with my, my favorite famous last question before I let you go. I know you have a plane to catch when you're not drinking your own wines, what kind of Italian wine would be your favorite? I, I that's easy for me. Montepulciano. I can't pronounce it probably correct, but I spent some time in Montepulciano area, that uh, growing region, and I love the caves and I love the full body nature of that wine. And so I actually regularly drink it. And I I hate to say is that um, it is pretty full bodied for me. Barolo is okay, but I really like the Montepulciano. And probably because of my experience of being there. Absolutely. Wine is so so like that it's it's such a good you know memory of of where you were and what what you did while you were in that particular place especially if it was italy so evocative i love that and and you're absolutely right vino vino nobile di montepulciano is definitely a robust and and hearty full-bodied you know good good sense of fruit that wine so i'm very happy to think that that's what you're drinking uh, when you've got Italian in your hand. This is this has been such a pleasure to speak to you today. I can't thank you enough for coming on, and I wish you all the very best with all of your endeavors uh, and continued success at Theopolis, and I hope that the next time I'm out in California, I'll get to come by and see you. Please do, and let me know in advance, because I do spend uh, 10 days a, a month in Dallas taking care of my 95-year-old mother, and other than Alzheimer's, and she's still in the early stages, she ain't going nowhere. So that's going to be part of my life for a while. But I would love to entertain you in California with Texas hospitality. 
hospitality. That sounds ideal. Thank you so much, Theo. This is great talking to you. Have a great day in California. Thank you, Cynthia, very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vignitaly International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vignitaly and tickets, visit vignitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.